Would you please say a prayer with me and also for me? Lord, I thank you once again for the resurrection, for the incredible purpose that it adds to our lives, for the life that it gives. And I pray that you would help me open your word and for all of us, Lord, that we would understand what this means for how we live today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, many of you have heard me say in the past that before I was in ministry, I was an engineer. But you might not know how it was that I came to be an engineer. Um, It was actually rather seemingly insignificant, but I was walking into my trigonometry class in high school, and the teacher said, kind of flippantly, you're good at math. You should consider engineering. And I guess just like any other confused high school kid, I went, oh, I should do engineering. And I kind of went down that path. And I went through engineering school, and I got a job as an engineer. And I began to work in that field and very quickly found it to not be fulfilling for me personally. The word that the teacher had given me gave me some direction in life, but it was without passion. I didn't know how to use engineering to fulfill my purpose. And I assumed if you're good at something and you do that thing, you will feel satisfied and fulfilled. But my problem was that I had no higher purpose for doing those things. I didn't understand how I could use my gifts and my abilities to express love for God and to have love for other people and to do it as a laborer for Him. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that the resurrection gives the reason for everything that we do. The resurrection gives the reason. And we're starting into a sermon series for this Easter season that I'm calling I Have Seen the Lord. And I titled that because I was so moved by Mary Magdalene's words. The last word, the last verse of last week's Easter gospel reading, verse 18 of John 20, is when she says, I have seen the Lord. And then she tells the disciples all the other things that Jesus had said to her. It's interesting how seeing is prominent in chapter 20 of John's gospel. Mary says, I have seen the Lord. Later, the disciples say to Thomas, who wasn't there that first Easter Sunday, we have seen the Lord. Thomas then later says, I will never believe unless I see the marks in his hands. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I ask you, is seeing believing or not? We can even believe through words and through witnesses. This is what Thomas was expected to believe. He was expected to believe what Jesus had said and then what reputable witnesses also said. When they said, we've seen the Lord, that should have been enough for Thomas, but it wasn't. And Jesus' gentle rebuke gives those of us who have not physically seen the Lord, encouragement. Blessed are those who have not literally seen him and yet believed. Now, I want to explain how the resurrection gives the reason for our life through believing in Jesus. And John, when he writes this gospel, bookends it with this truth. Jesus is God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, He uses the word word, the Greek word logos for Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God and the word was God. And then this chapter is really the end of John's gospel. 
chapter 21 was almost certainly added on later. John might have written it, but it wasn't where he originally concluded his gospel. It was at the end of chapter 20 when he gives the purpose for the signs that he's recorded here. If you read verses 30 and 31, it seems really clear the gospel of John ends right there. However, the last thing that is said is Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. When Jesus does condescend to show him his hands and his side and say, look, Thomas, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. See, stop becoming disbelieving and believe. When he does that, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. It's the first time since chapter one that Jesus is referred to explicitly as God. Jesus is God, but John's gospel is unfolding belief in him as the Son of God. Thomas then later would become a missionary to India. Church tradition tells us that he went to South India, shared the gospel. Uh, Even to this day, the Indian Christian church is stronger in the southern part of the country, and he was working his way up uh, up the eastern shore and was martyred for the faith in Madras, according to church history. Thomas became a witness, a missionary, and a bold voice for Christ. And the reason for this was the resurrection. The reason behind what Thomas did was the resurrection. The reason behind being a priest is the resurrection. The reason behind being an engineer is the resurrection. The reason behind doing what you do in this life is the resurrection. It's the purpose, the reason for everything. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to take this text and explain that a little bit more under four headings. Accidentally, I alliterated them. The first three I realized were alliterated, so I threw in a fourth, so they're all under the letter P. We want to look at the peace, the purpose, the power, and the proof, all of which are made possible because of the resurrection. And let's start with the peace. Now, in verse 19, it says that on the evening of that day, so this is Easter Sunday, the first Sunday, on the evening of that day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Two times here, he says, peace be with you. Well, one reason for this was that they were fearing the Jews. They had the doors locked. Again, a week later, the doors are still locked, and they're afraid of the Jews. And frankly, you can't blame them. When they look at what the Jews and the Romans and the crowds had done to their Messiah, their Savior, Jesus, they were terrified that they would just go looking for the rest of the disciples and kill them as well. They were in fear. And Jesus comes, and it is a typical greeting in the Middle East to say peace. And it's not just like, peace, how you doing? It's peace as in shalom, peace, wholeness. It is a prayer of blessing upon the person that God's peace would holistically be present in their life. In John 14 and John 16, Jesus taught them before he went to the cross that he was intending to give them this kind of peace. In John 14, 27, he says, my peace I give to you. And he says that your hearts would not be troubled. Now, he says this on the way to the cross because he realized that it would be very disturbing to them to watch him die and that their hearts would be troubled. But, and he wanted them to know that you will have sorrow for a brief while, but then you will have great joy. 
And however, that peace was meant to carry forward. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said all these things about what's coming, that you may have peace. And he says, you'll have tribulation in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it wasn't just peace before the cross, it was peace after. There is tribulation in our lives. I mean, we're living in it right now. And Jesus wants us to have his peace. And see, the resurrection means that history is heading somewhere. The fact that Jesus rose ascended and is ruling the universe tells us that there is a lot more to come. Jesus told us there was a lot more to come. And if our lives are headed somewhere, even beyond this physical life, that means that this is just the start. So the tribulations will come, life will have difficulties, it will be hard in many ways. But God is good, and He's leading us somewhere with this. Those people who only live for this life will often lack peace. Because the things they value in this life are so easily snatched away. Just do a little inventory on your own of what has been taken away from you just by this coronavirus situation. How many of the things in this life that we depend on for our peace have been snatched away? Just, just maybe even take a piece of paper and make a list of things that you enjoyed and found peace in that you can't do right now because of the risk of infection. The disciples grew in the peace, the shalom, the wholeness that Jesus talked about, and they became fearless in their living and their witness. The resurrection is the reason for the peace that they had. Not just the peace, but purpose. Look at verse 21. That second time that Jesus said his peace upon them, he said um, in verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He gave them a commission here. He has sent them and us through them out to do something. As the Father has sent me, in the same manner, with the same motivations, I'm sending you. If you think of John chapter 3, verse 16, which many of you know, it is because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It is the love for the world. The summary of the law that Jesus explained tells us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And his teaching showed us that our neighbor is any person, not just those who are like us or who live near us or who are our friends. All people are our neighbor. We are to love God and to love our neighbor. We are sent out in Christ's name, and we are to become his body on earth. He was bodily, he personally was bodily resurrected and then ascended but he's considered the head of the church, which is his body. We are his hands and feet now on the earth as he's ascended to the Father. So we are sent out. We are sent out to be his witnesses, to declare his word, to tell people about the good news. This gives us purpose for all that we do. The question for you then becomes, how do I do the seemingly mundane things of my life with that purpose undergirding it? How can I be an engineer or a lawyer or a parent or a teacher or whatever it is as a witness for Christ? How can I do that to love God and how can I do that to love others? The resurrection is the reason for this. It's the reason for the commissioning. So we have the peace and we have the purpose. And now let's look at the power. Jesus goes on in that passage, and he says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, 
he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is an incredible couple of verses here because we see the Trinity, the the Trinity and the unity in place. The Father has sent the Son, and so the Son now is sending the, the people, His followers out, and He's commissioning them with the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our triune God is seen in these two verses right here. The Holy Spirit of God is His presence living within the believers. He actually said, it's better for you if I go to the Father, because unless I go to the Father, the Helper won't come, referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, because the Holy Spirit dwells within His people, God is with us in a new way. And Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the age, in Matthew's gospel, right before He left. And so, He's not only in us, but He's working through us. He's giving us that peace. It's considered a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. He has empowered us to be witnesses, to work through us and speak through us. And then here he gives us the message of pardon. Now, I have to pause and admit that in church history, weak, small men who need to feel powerful have misappropriated verse 23 and thought that they had within themselves to decide whether or not someone is forgiven. And they completely miss the purpose of this. This does not tell you, give you the power to declare that person's forgiven and that one's not, but rather to declare the conditions for forgiveness that God has made possible because of the resurrection. So, who is forgiven? God is telling us those who repent of their sins and receive Christ are forgiven. This is the power of our witness, that you and I are able to say to someone in their sins, yes, your life is broken. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you messed up. Yes, all this stuff has happened. However, when you repent and trust in Christ, you are forgiven. That is a powerful word that people need to hear. Because of the resurrection, we have the power of that message. Conversely, we also have the power to say, if you don't repent of those sins, you're not forgiven. You are still in your sin. And we can implore and urge and and pray for people to feel convicted of those sins so they can cast them at the foot of the cross and let Jesus' forgiveness come into their life. The resurrection is the reason for that power. So there's the peace, there's the purpose, there's the power, and now the proof. The second part of, of our reading today is the dialogue that happens between Thomas and Jesus. For whatever reason, He wasn't with the rest of the disciples on Easter Sunday, that first Easter. Every year, I read John Stott's comment about this, and it makes me laugh. He says, it's a calculated risk missing church on Sunday. And Thomas missed church on this important Sunday. They all saw Jesus except him, and he's upset about this. And he is emphatic, and he says, I will never believe unless I see his hands and touch them. So Jesus, knowing all things, says the next week, eight days later, the next Sunday, this Sunday, so Easter 2, he says to him, he shows up again behind locked doors, Jesus is there, and whether he can just open a door and go through it or he can just pass through it, somehow he's not bound. Jesus shows up in their presence in the midst of their locked doors and their fear, and he says, hey, Thomas, (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's so tempting for me to imagine how this went down and how I would do it. You know, it's an I told you so moment like none other. <clears throat> so Jesus is there <clears throat> and, and he says, peace be with you again. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers him, <clears throat> my Lord and my God. Whereas he was way behind the others, he jumped way ahead. Many of them were still wrestling with doubt here, and he comes to incredible clarity that he is in the presence of God himself. My Lord and my God. Jesus is God in his presence, and he knows this, and he worships. And when he says that, Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Christianity is hard, I will admit. It's hard. But it doesn't ask us to have blind faith. There is much trustworthy proof available. Thomas should have trusted the words of Jesus, who said this was all going to happen, and he should have trusted the witness of the other disciples. He knew them personally. They were reputable. They wouldn't lie. They wouldn't make something like this up. He should have been able to believe on that, but he didn't. And this gentle rebuke of Jesus is an encouragement to us. And I wonder, how much proof do you need to believe that Jesus is resurrected and Lord and to declare him your Lord and your God? How much proof do you need? You know, we, we tend to judge Thomas when we read this because, see, we're on the outside of the narrative. We know how the story ends. We, we read it and we, we snicker, kind of, I do at least. I'm like, oh, here comes Jesus. He's going to show Thomas. Thomas, doubting Thomas, we call him. But in so many ways, we do the same thing. Thomas should have believed the word of Jesus and the witness of trustworthy witnesses, and he didn't. And we have the same things. We have the word of Jesus. We have the word of God all of the prophecies, Jesus' teaching, and we have reputable witnesses. There is so much proof, so much evidence for the resurrection that we ought to feel comfortable with that. We've got, as I mentioned last week, over 500 people saw Jesus alive. The disciples did. The women did. Mary Magdalene first. Thomas did. Thomas got to see the nail marks. All of those guys became martyrs, except for John, and he was exiled and suffered greatly for his faith. They all were witnesses. Now, I've never argued anyone into the kingdom of God using apologetic tools. However, apologetics, the, the reasons for faith, can be helpful to set your mind free of something that is a hang-up. If you think Christianity is just about a blind leap of faith, you're mistaken. It is a very reasonable faith. It certainly takes us beyond reason, but never against it. The best explanation for the evidence is that Jesus actually was not in the tomb, that he was resurrected. The best reason for the evidence of the existence of the church is that Jesus is resurrected. He's given us ample proof that he is alive. Witnesses then and witnesses today, they might not have seen him physically, but they've seen him by faith. And the church gives witness to this. The resurrection is the reason behind the proof. Now, what do people 
who don't believe in the resurrection have? They have fear. They have emptiness. They have weakness. Maybe they have a kind of blind faith or superstition. But the resurrection gives us the reason behind our lives. It gives us peace instead of fear. It gives us purpose instead of emptiness. Gives us power instead of weakness. And it gives us proof instead of blind faith. This morning, I want you to take a step toward God. I invite you to examine your life in those four areas. Peace, purpose, power, and proof. And then I want you to talk to God about it. I want you to invite Him to search you, to speak to those areas. Why is it maybe that you're lacking a sense of purpose and you feel empty in whatever it is that you're doing? Is it that you're doing it for the wrong motives? Is it that you're not allowing the resurrection's reality to undergird the purpose for your existence? Use it to love God, to be a laborer unto Him, and to love your neighbor, to serve others. Why is it that you don't have peace and there's fear? Is it because you put all of your eggs in the one basket of this life and you realize it's not measuring up? It's coming up empty or something is being taken away from you. The resurrection means that there is a lot more to come. This is just the start. Are you lacking power in your life because you're walking by the flesh and not inviting the Spirit, the presence of God in believers to empower your witness, to lead you and guide you? And have you not ever taken the time to investigate the evidence, to read through some of the apologetics works that are out there. More Than a Carpenter is a good one. Know Why You Believe, Tim Keller's Reason for God. There's a whole bunch of great resources out there. You've actually not taken the time and effort <clears throat> to, to bolster your brain, to, to fill your mind with good reasons why you can trust that the resurrection has happened. Do a little bit of self-examination and then talk to God about it because He's alive. He hears and He answers. He'll guide you in this Easter season. We're going to respond with a, a song, and I'm going to say a prayer as our team comes back up here, and I invite you to join in praying with me. <clears throat> Lord God, I thank you for your, your presence in our midst. I thank you for the reasons that you've given us. I thank you for your peace and your purpose and your power and your proof. Lord, I pray for the gift of faith for all who hear me, that those who do believe would lean further into that faith. And those who've never trusted you would feel the courage to pray like Thomas and declare Jesus that you are Lord and God. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.